Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. No, that's, not, that's what I said. I, I, I'm, I, I don't even think I'm going to watch them. Really, that's, well, that's what I want to talk about today. All right. Well, let's save this for the air then. Or the, it's not really the air, is it, right? It's the, let's save it for the podcast. <laughs> I made too many good points just now when no one heard them. <laughs> save it for the podcast. That's why I, I, I don't like to talk to you too much before we start because I, I, I don't want to waste good things. I want the spontaneity to come, you know, while I'm saying it. I don't want to have it. Oh, I remember what I just said to Reggie before. I need to say that again. Now, that's no fun. So I like talking to you. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, there's the old adage. Save it for the air. Save it for the air. Save it for the air. So I guess we can't say that here, but save it for the podcast. Okay. All right, sir. I like where those, um, I like where those levers are bopping. We've already been about, you've got the tape now on there. Very good. So that's the levels where they're supposed to be. You know exactly where to put them. That's exactly, they look perfect. Perfect. All right, sir. Put it down in the book. Episode 269-er. All right. (laughs) Now that I might do in the air. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) I'll give you the... um, I'll give you the three S's. I'll give you the uh, countdown. Give me the music, and I will give you a podcast. All right, here we go. All right, get ready. Three S's: star, smile, strong. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. So don't forget to uh, like this podcast, subscribe to this podcast. If you're on those other formats, but most importantly, tell your friends, spread the word, send them a link, send them a message that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion is much, 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 much appreciated. And, uh, you know, there might be something a little extra in your envelope at Christmas time. <laughs> Also, if you like what you hear, don't forget, you go to WGNRadio.com, you hit the podcast section, you'll see a prompt for this podcast, you hit that, and you will find previous podcasts. You keep, you keep hitting the load more button, and it goes way back. So if you like what you hear, go listen to what we've done before, and this way it keeps you up to date, because we often refer back to those things. Keeps you up to date, keeps you informed, and keeps you right online with what's happening with Elton Jim's Captain Podcasting. There should be 268 episodes in that vault, which can only mean one thing. Welcome to episode 269. 269er. 
69. <laughs> Couldn't resist. So, uh, I want to talk once again about bad decisions, irresponsible decisions by major corporations, companies, I don't even know what you call it, committees, bodies, uh, but wow, this this one to me just feels so wrong in so many ways. So over the last uh, week or so, there you know, over the last several months, especially since uh, many of the restrictions here in the United States were lifted, and some restrictions have been lifted slightly in in countries around the world. Uh, it was announced pretty much from the beginning of this year. It seemed as if this was going to be a go regardless. And obviously, vaccines helped push it along and make it sound more acceptable. But now that we have seen that COVID around the world and many countries around the world, even in some of the countries that have been up to this point, so quote-unquote, handling the COVID situation and handling the spread, uh, even places like Australia, which which was being heralded for doing such a great job, they are starting to see some COVID now. And we see many uh, you know, established countries, not third world countries, but industrial countries like England and Germany and Italy and France and Spain, you know, just seeing this, this Delta variant wreaking havoc. A lot of people still in foreign countries are not vaccinated. That's a, that is a problem. But we're even seeing that many people that are vaccinated, you know, this little pesky COVID Delta variant is, there were some other ones that were, that were, uh, you know, threatening, but this, this Delta one seems to have, um, this Delta one seems to have done the job, at least for right now. And it, it, it don't want to go away. <laughs> But here's the thing. So we've been hearing, like last summer, of course, there were a lot of sports that were canceled, postponed at the very least, some completely canceled, most of them postponed, and brought back in hybrid or truncated or, in my view, very fake versions of themselves. The most fake of them all was baseball, which really, at the end of the day, is probably my favorite sport. At least it was. Uh, I've, I've watched baseball since I was a very young child. I played baseball through most of my youth and into my adulthood, early adulthood. Um, I've been going to baseball games since I was a little kid. Um, I, I've worn my, my baseball um, you know, loyalty on my sleeve. I like to think that I'm somewhat knowledgeable about the game, having both played it as well as just being a fan of it. Admittedly, I must say that I do not know as much about the players as I used to. I have not been uh, as ardent a fan in terms of the minutia of the game, statistics and players and things like that, like I was uh, in the past. And I think that's part of the problem. Baseball has been, in my view, 
kind of losing me anyway. And what they did last year, having a sixty-year, sixty-game season, and still crowning a World Series champion uh, with no spectators and bastardized rules like seven-inning doubleheaders and runners on second base and extra innings. I just, you know, I, I. I, I just thought it was a travesty. I thought it was a sacrilege for someone who really loves baseball and does look at it like that famous uh, speech that James Earl Jones gives in, in Field of Dreams, which now is a part of a commercial. And don't forget, the Chicago White Sox and the Yankees will be playing a game soon at the Field of Dreams in Dyersville, Indiana. And I have been there. Or in Iowa, I'm sorry. Dyersville, uh, Iowa. And I've been there. I went there before it was even... A tourist attraction. That's how much of a baseball fan I am. Back in 1989, when Field of Dreams came out, I was so moved by that movie that uh, I drove to Dyersville because I had read an article that you could, you, you know, they didn't, they didn't knock it down after they, they didn't, you know, it was a, it literally was a cornfield. And uh, when the movie people came in. They created that diamond actually on two different farms. It's not just one farm in reality, at least at the time. Now it's it's a whole thing. They, you know, the original owners have sold it and you know they probably cashed out well. But initially, that baseball field was built on two farms that were next to one another. There was the one farm that had the house that you see in the film, where a majority of the field is on from like the middle of shortstop to first base, extending all the way out to the outfield. But then from like the middle of shortstop toward the foul line, so past third base, that was another farm. It was actually two different farms. And when the filming was done, the the guy that owned the the farm where the majority of the field was on and the house, which was a prominent role in you know featured in the film, he kept it for a while. He didn't just plow over it. Meanwhile, the other farmer was like, okay, he only had like, you know, third base. He didn't really have all the field. So he was he was beginning to grow corn, you know, to, to like start planting again. Until prophetically, just like the movie says, if you build it, they will come. Baseball fans like myself descended on Dyersville, Iowa to the point that it really did become a tourist attraction, and now it's a, a huge complex. So the movie actually was prophetic. It, it, it's interesting how that happened. But, I mean, I, I had to go and see that place. I have, a, I, have a, I have my catcher's mitt with a ball in my trunk at all times because you never know when you can get a quick game of catch. I even have another glove in case somebody else wants to play. Now, granted, I don't think I've ever used it, but it's there. You never know. In fact, funny thing, funny story. I was just in a grocery store uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, I saw a guy that played with me in high school. I haven't seen him in many years, and uh, and I and I pulled out. I I told him. I said, you know, we were in, we were in the store. We then we went and talked for a while in the parking lot, and I was by my car, and I said, hold on a second. I pulled out my, my catcher's mitt that I used from freshman year of high school. Still have it. Still is in great condition. And I said to him, I used this mitt to catch your pitching. 
So I'm telling you that story because I'm a I'm a I'm a longtime baseball fan. I'm a diehard baseball fan. I had baseball cards and the whole deal. Um, I played at Wrigley Field when I was 11 years old uh, as, uh, on a city champ team. So I've had a lot of uh, a lot of you know firsthand experience with baseball as well as just being a fan of it. And so I, I've been very disappointed in. And how baseball has, has, I think, kind of sold out on their tradition. Uh, hockey, w- the season was almost over when COVID happened. So they finished it out with no spectators, as most uh, places didn't have for most of their seasons. Basketball, the same way. Um, I don't know if anybody really cared about basketball or hockey. Those seasons seemed kind of lost in the shuffle. They played them out. I don't even know if anybody remembers who won the championships. Um, The only sport that really seemed to be able to, and they still had their problems with COVID. They had some teams and some players that, you know, were testing positive, and that certainly happened to baseball and basketball and hockey. So not only was was the game itself sterile and distant, and as I said, in many ways, bastardized because it just wasn't the same game, especially baseball with changing of the rules, literally changing the rules of the game and having a 60-game season when they usually have 162, uh, you know, and then, and then still crowning a champ after 60 games, you know, a little more than a quarter of the real season. That, that doesn't seem right. But they did it. Fans... I guess liked it to some extent. Football was the only one. By the time the football season came, it was later in the year. The protocols were a little more in place. Uh, people were more used to things, uh, but they still had their their, their problems with it. Um, but you know, and by the time the Super Bowl came, I think they pulled it off. Of all the four major sports, I think football came the closest, and not because they've got some great. Uh, visionaries running the game. I just think that the the season was later in the year, so they had a chance to observe what was going on with the other sports and adapt to those protocols as well as put their own in. So they had a little time to to observe and then act, whereas baseball, hockey, and, and basketball were right in the middle of their seasons, either the beginning of them or the ends. And they were going on the fly, and it felt like it. It felt rushed. It felt half-assed. But football had the advantage of being able to wait a few months, uh, watch how the COVID virus was um, was developing and watch the way the reactions were and and react to new developments. And so I think they had a little better handle. It, it, once again, they still didn't have any... Any people there for most of the season? They did have them for, at the Super Bowl. That was you know limited capacity in some places, but uh, but football is different in that it it is really, or at least it has become. Maybe it wasn't always, but it seems to be the most made for TV sport of all the major sports, and even including soccer. It's the most made for TV sport. Baseball, they're always trying to, uh, you know, to to find ways to to make it faster. Hockey, uh, the, the age old complaint is you can't see the puck on television. Basketball, 
uh, is kind of the monotony of going back and forth and teams scoring all the time. You know, in basketball, it's not a question of will you score. It's a, a question of how many will you score. So the idea of a, of, a, of, a, of a score is not that big of a deal. It is a big deal in hockey, right? But you can't see the puck is easy. Baseball, the complaint is, is too slow. But football is made for America. It's made for our short attention spans. It's made for our need for um, instant gratification. And it's made for television. The action takes place in the middle of your TV set every 45 seconds. Just enough time to um, go get a chip, go to the bathroom, and then sit right back down. And the action takes place right in the middle. You see all, you know, all, all the players are right there. And in ba- in a baseball game, when you watch that, you know, you see the pitcher and the catcher and the batter until they hit the ball. But for the most part, you see those two people w- with the camera angle. In basketball, you see the whole thing. Um, but once again, uh, the, sometimes basketball can move very quickly, and then sometimes there's just a lot of dribbling and passing. Football... There is, you know, in within 45 seconds, there's going to be action. There's going to be a play. You might not even realize you know that, but it's, you're, you are, if you watch football on a regular basis, you just know it. You feel when the play is going to start. You know when that, when that game clock or that, that, that play clock is ticking down to a couple of seconds. You, you yourself can feel it, just like the quarterback can. So football, I thought, of all the sports, did a good job. But ultimately, what I think we learned from last season is sports needs spectators. To be fully engaged in a game, whether you're at the game or especially when you're watching it at home. I didn't realize this until I was watching these sports on television without spectators. Baseball at times sounded like they were playing, you know, in an empty cavern. There was echoes. It was just eerie. It just wasn't right. Baseball needs fans. You need that 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 buzz of the crowd there. You need people cheering when there's a strikeout and going crazy when there's a home run. Even just in between pitches, there's that that constant din of people talking, and it, it, it's that ambiance and that atmosphere that adds to the, the, the complete appreciation and enjoyment of the game. I didn't really, I didn't fully appreciate that until it was gone. But now that we saw games without it, and we know what games sound like it, baseball needs that. Hockey, uh, you know, the, the crowd is certainly into it. And a lot of the sports on TV were augmenting. Football was augmenting sounds, and so was baseball then. But it wasn't re- you could You could see the empty seats. In football, the same thing, too. Uh, you didn't see the empty seats, even in basketball. Even though you saw all the action, all the players on the court, you could still see the empty seats in the shot. But, on, but, on, but in football, that's why football worked so well. Because football, that camera was just aimed at the line of scrimmage. And every so often, you may have seen a quick shot of the empty stands, but not very much, and they always had that, that fake crowd noise going on. And whoever worked that crowd noise in the football games, i got to say, it did a good job. 
they they raised it when there was a good play and they they kept it you know they 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 played with the volume they played with the energy level they they really did a good job of faking it if you're going to fake it but as i said before football um there were times when you could forget that they were playing to an empty stadium and they were playing in a covid world when you watched last season when you watched baseball or you watched hockey or you watched basketball you knew that there were no there were no spectators there and you knew that it was a weird season something wasn't right about it but not with football so much there was moments there were moments but not so much I bring this up because not only were the Olympics, and this is what I really want to talk about, so the Olympics now, the 2020 Olympics, which I believe they're still being called, in Tokyo, in Japan, uh, you know, of, of course, were supposed to be last summer. They were, and there was a time where they actually were thinking of not canceling it last summer, which is crazy. But they immediately, when they did cancel it, they immediately said, you know, middle of July, you know, late July to early August is next year's. I mean, they made that very clear to everybody that they were going to have these Olympics. And there wasn't much question about that throughout the year. It was kind of silent, you know, as the winter went on, you didn't really hear too much. But certainly when the new year started and even a couple of months into it, you know, into the new year, you got a sense that um, you were starting to hear more about the Olympics, the Olympics, the Olympics. Obviously, uh, you know, Tokyo wants to have them. They, they, they laid out a lot of money for the, uh, for the, for the right to have them. They probably spent hundreds of millions, if not billions, on building, you know, stadiums and housing and everything to to host these Olympics. So they're they're looking for some kind of of payday here, some kind of return on investment. So the the thought of not having them for the second year, I don't even think was in their minds, even though COVID has been very rampant in japan from day one and for a while it slowed down and now as we get ready for these olympics which start on july 23rd and run through august 8th uh, you know two weeks right now you know a few about a month and a half or two months ago things seemed to settle down and so they were going to go along with it anyway they were selling tickets, and even though about three or four months ago in March, you know, February and March and April, there was a, a, a very serious outbreak and a state of emergency, and they said, we don't care, we're going forward. And then there was a, a, a kind of a, a slowdown of the virus, and they were kind of brushing their, their brows and saying, okay, we might get lucky here. And now, on the precipice of having these Olympics, there is another state of emergency in Japan. Not just a little surge, not just some, some possible concern. A real state of emergency concerning COVID. 
to the point, to the extent that they made the announcement that there will be no spectators allowed. No spectators allowed for the two weeks of the Olympics, for these dozens of events, all the track and field, all the, all the gymnastics. You know, if, if you thought a baseball game sounded eerie and, and scary and odd, how is the gymnastics, which, especially in the Summer Olympics, is one of the highlight events, right? We've had all these gymnasts, Mary Lou Retton and, uh, you know, Olga Corbett going back to the 70s, all these, these world-famous gold medal um, Olympic stars. Uh, Michaela uh, 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 Maroney is her name. Remember the one who had the smirk in London? She's just doing a commercial now. So, you know, that's always been a highlight. It's always one of the last events to have. Now that's going to be basically taking place in a gym, an empty gym. And I'm sure that they're going to have the sweetened, you know, kind of uh, applause, just like they did during football games to try to create some illusion and some excitement. But you're going to be able to hear a lot of echo. You're going to feel, you're going to see behind the action, empty seats, the track and field, all the different events. You're not going to hear cheering. I mean, what, what is, I mean, how are they going to have an opening ceremony? Now, these opening ceremonies have become these giant Super Bowl halftime events, these, these hugely choreographed, hugely produced events. But the biggest, one of the, one of the, the parts of, of the, the opening ceremonies that's most exciting is when the teams come out all dressed in their individual uniforms for every country, waving their flags, and they come out from the, you know, from the, from the bowels of the stadium, and they come out and wave to the crowd for all the computer graphics and all the pyrotechnics and all the other stuff, all the smoke machines and all the dancing and all the speeches that that now comprise these, as I said, these glitzy, uh, uberly produced opening ceremony shows using the, the, the most uh, latest technologies for television as well as for live events. The, the most inspiring part was not all the bells and whistles of that. The most inspiring part was when those athletes came out because they're the show. And so when those young athletes came out wearing their uniforms and wearing their, the pride of their countries on their smiles, as well as their personal pride in having been chosen as among the best in the world to represent their country. You've got so many emotions going on. You've got nationalistic uh, emotions of, of national pride for each country, and then you've got individual pride for each athlete who is there. And when they come walking out of that tunnel, even though there's some countries that will be cheering more for their country, everybody in that crowd cheers for them because of the accomplishment. That's not going to be there. 
You can't, you can't recreate that with an applause sound effect. So I don't know if they're even going to do that. I'm sure they will because it's good television, but is it good television if it doesn't deliver good television? If you've got to use bells and whistles and, and special effects to make that seem like it's a special moment, then it's not a special moment. It's not a real organic moment. It's a manufactured moment. So I would think from the get-go, these Olympics are going to be fraudulent. They're going to be fake. They're going to be like a 60-game baseball season. No spectators completely deflates and delegitim- delegitimizes the Olympics. Pure and simple. But clearly, you know, NBC, which also paid billions probably for the rights to broadcast it, they're looking for a return on their investment, you know, selling advertising. You watch the, the, the local news on an NBC station, and now they are talking about is Tokyo 20, you know, 20, I don't even know if they're saying 2021, because they are the 2020 Olympics. <laughs> they're still holding by that. But I just think this is going to be a huge, huge failure. I think the ratings are going to be horrendously low. I think the uh, and, and maybe the opening night people will watch it for for curiosity's sake. But I think over the over the two weeks, I, I, this is just I think from from the Olympic Committee standpoint, so irresponsible. I mean, think about the re- the realities of this. Around the world, we still have major COVID spreading problems. In most of the major countries around the world, even the, as I said before, the industrialized countries, they're still having problems in Europe and around the world. The Delta virus, the Delta variant is highly contagious and it's proving it. We may be walking around here in the United States acting as if COVID never happened. We're very good at denial. We're very good at moving on. But we're even seeing now. Illinois just issued a travel ban again for the first time in many months. Can't go to Missouri or Arkansas because their levels are high. If you do go there, you're supposed to self-quarantine. I guarantee you nobody will because we have we are acting like it's in our rearview mirror. Like, oh, that what we we used to have COVID here. And I said this before, wait till, call me in September and you tell me if COVID's gone. And I'm standing by that. We're mingling, we're going out, great. This isn't over yet. We want it to be over. We think we can will it to be over. It ain't over. But on a worldwide, but you know, we've got the vaccine here, at least, you know, 60% of the people have been vaccinated. We still have this vaccine hesitancy, which is more political than anything else. It's a shame because we're just talking about saving your lives and the lives of people around you. It would just seem logical to me. But on a worldwide basis, we are nowhere close of ending COVID. Not even close. So how irresponsible is it to bring athletes, young people, 
And not just young people, because coaches and staff and trainers, everything else, don't forget, it's not just the athletes that show up. There's entourages of many behind-the-scenes people for every country. So it's not just the team. Bringing people from around the world to one place to commingle. Whether they're vaccinated or not, within day, you know, they, they've already begun arriving. You know, a couple of weeks ago, they actually began arriving. Some of the teams and some of the, the advanced people for, for some of the, the countries began arriving in Tokyo. And they were following the protocols that were all in place, these very stringent protocols. And right off the bat, four or five people, positive, boom, a couple of days in. And there weren't even that many people there yet. You are now bringing people. You, I mean, all we were talking about right before with the quarantine was your own personal bubble. What kind of bubble is bringing people from every country, you know, theoretically from, from all the major countries in the world into one place? Where, where every country's um, rate of COVID spread is different. And their rate of, of vaccinations and inoculations are different. How is this not irresponsible? I mean, how is this? All we, all we heard about last summer was super spreader events. How is this not a super spreader event? I don't get this. Why? Because there's billions of dollars at stake? Are we again driven by that? Is that again driving us over the health of our fellow humans? Clearly it is. But Tokyo as a country, the Olympic Committee as a body, NBC as a network, they are saying, we got to do this. The baseball season last year was supposed to bring normalcy and help people cope. And apparently they're trying to you know, bathe this and frame this as, oh, this is going to be a sign to the world that we can get back... This is a sign of a world of this is this is going to be the scariest um, congregation of people in the in the last year in one place from around the world. Before, like even last year, you know they had that that Sturgis um, uh, motorcycle thing here in the United States, and like four hundred fifty people went from all around the country, and that was proven to be a spreader event. But at least it was from our country. This is from all over the world where COVID is still rampant and in some countries it's still as devastating as ever. I don't care what protocols we have already learned. No matter what the protocols are, this damn virus finds a way around them. And I guarantee you that throughout the, the two weeks of the Olympics, you're going to start hearing stories and there's going to be athletes that will not be able to compete and a major storyline is going to be who has COVID. And I guarantee you there will be at least one, if not more, very high-profile, gold medal potential athletes. Sadly, I'm not, I'm not wishing this on anybody, but I... The odds are that there will be one very high-profile athlete, at least, that sadly is going to have their dreams dashed because they're going to get COVID and they won't be able to compete. Now, how unfair is that? How cruel is that?
If you think it's cruel to cancel the Olympics because you're depriving these athletes of their chance to compete, of what they've earned, and they've worked their whole life to, to toward, and I get that. That's a huge disappointment. I get that. But how cruel is it to have the Olympics, get them there to Tokyo, build up their expectations, build up their anticipation, get them physically and emotionally set to perform at the highest of their capabilities to win that gold medal, and then when they're ready to take their court or take the field or take whatever their chosen location is for their sport, they are informed that they have COVID and they will not be able to perform. How devastating is that going to be? And we're setting people up for that. And that's reality. Once again, I I constantly say that. You got to look at the reality of it. And that's reality. Not the opening ceremony with all the platitudes and all the fireworks. The reality is, sadly, that there are going to be one, if not more, many athletes who are going to be who are going to be devastated because they sadly are going someone's going to catch covid there. And I hope I I'm not hoping this happens. But I'm just I'm just basing it on the reality of what we're seeing around the world. But how devastating is that? Did you see several months ago when one of the uh, I believe his name was his last name is Ram um, I can't. I don't can't remember his first name right now, but very good golfer. He was leading by six strokes going into the last round of a golf tournament, and he he just finishes the 18th hole in the second round. Excited for tomorrow. He's up by six. He's probably going to win. He can't believe it. He's so psyched. He. He's walking off with a big smile and a skip in his step and literally one or two steps off the green. He's In one minute, he is in complete euphoria that he's six shots up and going into the last round the next day, and he takes one or two steps off the green on his way to the clubhouse, and he is immediately greeted by a, an official of the tournament who tells him that he cannot play tomorrow because he has tested positive for COVID. If you haven't seen this, go Google it. Go online. His last name was Rahm. I, I, I'm not sure what term, tournament it was. I don't, I don't know if it was uh, the U.S. Open or the PGA or it was just a, a regular tournament, but um, the guy was devastated. You could, you, could, you could see his face as the guy, is, as the official was telling him this. There's this look of, of, of anguish, and then, I mean, I, I, he just he bends over, and he's, he's devastated. That's one guy. You're bringing athletes, in many cases, athletes in their teens. Some of these gymnasts are in their teens or early 20s. There might, they might even be emotionally capable of handling that kind of, of disappointment. Don't you see that you're at least potentially creating that situation? This event is supposed to celebrate those athletes. 
and, 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 and reward them for their excellence and put them on this world stage and let them perform to the best of their abilities. But this year, there's something hanging over it. They, may, they, may, they will not automatically get that chance because you know they're going to be tested several times a day. And I can't believe out of all those athletes that, don't forget, are going to be living in the Olympic Village indoors. Yes, they'll have masks on, but will they have them on? And I don't know how much you know. I'm, 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 this, is not, this is not about sports, this, this little rant here. This is, about, this is about human nature. This is about, about, once again, how we deal with things. I don't know if anybody knows. Sports fans will. But, and it's only come out over the last several years as we've become more open as a society. But apparently, the Olympic Village is like Sodom and Gomorrah. It is, there are, it is, it's a sex world. There's a lot of sex going on in that Olympic Village for those two weeks. And why should you be surprised? Young people in their, you know, late teens, early to mid-20s, all in top physical condition physically all perfect specimens right attractive is it any surprise that there would be a lot of sex going on in those olympic villages it's not talked about a lot but we know it for a fact now it's it's leaked out it's 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 a sex fest when they're not on the court, when they're not on the field. Is that going to stop? Or is that going to continue? Is that part of the Olympic experience for those athletes? And if it is, look at the risk that we're running. Indoors, people from around the world getting together intimately. If that doesn't spread the COVID, I don't know what will. So not only are is there you know you could talk all you you could talk about all the all the protocols you want, but if you know young people, you know they're going to find a way around those protocols if nature calls, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <sighs> so I don't know. I I I just think this is this is so irresponsible. Um, I I I can't believe they're going on with it, but they are. I mean, the Olympics in general, we know, have decreased in their popularity. Back in the 70s, in the 60s, especially the 70s. In the 70s and then and then and then the 80s, you know, after the, the, the U.S. hockey team. But in the 70s, you know, we were, we were in the midst of the Cold War, U.S. against Russia, you know, the Russian hockey teams, the Russian weightlifters. Uh, you know, there was, there was all this, you know, democracy versus communism. So you know, then there was all the political things going on in the world. There were terrorists at the Olympics. Um, but 
back in the 70s, before cable television took hold in the 80s, when there were only three networks, when the Olympics were on, television basically stopped. They were so dominant Other stations might as well, the other stations that were on the dial, the other two networks and whatever local stations, they might as well just shut off the transmitters because nobody was watching. The Olympics dominated. It was the event. But over the last 40 years, 50 now, that that has diminished as we have gotten more, once again, uh, platforms, first cable, and now streaming, there's, there's not one place to watch. Before in the 70s, you turned on ABC. They had the rights of the Olympics. You turned on ABC. You watched Jim McKay. You watched you know, Dick Button for the, the ice skating. Uh, you watched that station. Everybody knew it was one station. Everyone watched it, literally, for those two weeks. All the other stations were, we might as well have been dark. But that's not the case anymore. We are distracted with a lot of, of programming um, you know, options on a daily basis. And so, yes, it's still a big deal in some people's minds. But, but if you're not into sports, before even if you weren't into sports, you still had to watch it because there was nothing else on. And everyone was talking about it. But in today's world, we're so individualized that you don't have to watch the Olympics. You can, you can read about it somewhere else. What happened yesterday? You can watch the 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 the, the replays on on YouTube or somewhere else. Back then, you had to watch it live because that's the only chance you had to see it, unless you watched the reruns on your on the news. So the Olympics, I believe, have lost much of their cachet to begin with. Now you're going to be putting this fraudulent one on with this specter of disappointment and tragedy hovering every day because you never know if tomorrow somebody who's expected to win a gold medal or a high-profile athlete is going to test positive. And once it happens one time, that becomes all that's going to happen. If, if it happens, especially at the beginning, if, if there's a high-profile athlete that tests positive and is not able to compete in their event because think about it according to the protocols that we've all been following it's always been 10 to 14 days that you have to quarantine if you have it well how long are the olympics 14 days so even if you caught it the first day you're going to break the protocol if you if you compete And if you catch it midway through, you certainly can't do it. So the Olympics are the exact time that you have to quarantine if you get it. So (laughs) you're already, it's it's a failure is built in. If you catch it the first day, you're out. And if it all, if it takes, if, if one high profile athlete in any sport there is, but certainly one of the higher profile ones, if they get it, then every day the Olympics must start with today there were no COVID positives or today there were 15 COVID positives. And we're going to have, that's how, instead of, instead of medal tallies, that used to be the only numbers you had on the Olympics. 
Who won the most medals yesterday? The U.S. is ahead with 14, and second is this country, and second is that, blah, blah, blah. Now I fear that instead of the medal count, we're going to be having the COVID count during the Olympics. I hope I'm wrong. Believe me, I'm not, I'm not wishing this, but I'm saying that by having this, it's possible, and it's not a long shot. We've seen the way this virus spreads. What are we doing by having this? It's going to be a sham. You're potentially putting thousands of people in danger. And once again, the purist in me, the sports purist, like I talk about baseball, you're bastardizing the Olympics. And I got news for you. If, if this becomes a COVID-riddled event, the, the Olympics may never recover. And, they, and they've already been dwindling overall in the last 40 years. There have been a few spikes. Obviously, we had you know, the, the Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding thing that, that brought attention to it in the 90s. We had Michael Phelps breaking all the records in swimming in the 2000s. Yes, there have been moments where there have been special athletes that have broken records and, and uh, long-held records. I'm not saying that the Olympics have been without their moments. It is a great event, but it's not the dominant event like it was 50 years ago. The Olympics and the networks are presenting it as if it is, but it just isn't. The ratings prove it. The buzz proves it. No one's talking, you know, when the Olympics are on. Now, sadly, what we may be talking about for two weeks is who's going to catch COVID next. And what and God forbid, what if it what if what if COVID runs through a whole team? We know already that people in groups can get it. And we know that the symptoms don't always show themselves when people are contagious. So it is not it's not a crazy thought to think that not even just one athlete from a country's team might get it, but you might have five or ten athletes from a country's team. Basically, eliminating that whole country's team to uh, participate. I think that's mean. To raise the expectations of these athletes, to fly them all the way out to Tokyo, knowing that there is a kind of a chance. It's not 100%. I understand that. They've all been back. I get that. But we've seen that there are no 100% here. There are no hard and fast rules. Even the vaccine doesn't completely guard you from this. And the protocols have to be that if you're positive, you can't participate. So I just, I think that is so cruel. I, 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 I understand the monetary obligations, but I do think that once again, the health and welfare physically of the athletes, the emotional health and welfare of the athletes should be taken into consideration. The agonizing, devastating disappointment if one of those athletes is about to compete for a gold medal and then told, just like the golfer was, sorry, you can't compete. At least he didn't fly to Tokyo. Oh, 
I'm just I'm I'm so disappointed because I this is such a wrong decision. And as I said, you're also not only harming the athletes physically and potentially emotionally, I think you're harming the Olympics. There you are you are you're dealing with an event that's already been declining in popularity and you are opening it up to major danger that can tarnish its reputation as well as with no spectators you're already tarnishing the tradition because i said it at the beginning sports needs spectators we saw that last year so uh, it's just it it i i i i'm 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 watching this with with bait with 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 great caution i'm 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 probably not going to watch the olympics in any major way but i'm going to certainly be waiting to see what happens i'm not wishing this on anybody i hope to god over the next two weeks that incredibly no one tests positive do we honestly believe that's going to happen though do you honestly believe are you that much of puppy dogs and rainbows do you honestly believe that no one no athlete on any of the teams are going to catch covid do you really believe that and if you don't and if you do believe that someone's going to catch it then what are you doing why are you having this event why are you why are you bastardizing this event and why are you putting people in danger the very people that you're supposed to be celebrating I've always said too I believe What's driving this is, I said before, Tokyo has had to pay billions to get this Olympics, just the rights for them, and then invest in all this infrastructure, building a village and stadiums and all this to house the people and to have the events. So this is an amazing monetary investment that they hope will come back, if not through the revenues at least will spark tourism for people. They'll show off Tokyo and people want to go. But you can't go. You can't go there. They're in a state of emergency. There's no tourism anywhere. Everything that Tokyo wants to happen as, a, as an end result of this can't happen right now. The Olympics can't have spectators. That makes it bad. The athletes potentially could come down with COVID and they can't participate. Some of the best in the world, perhaps. That's bad. You're not going to spark tourism to Tokyo right now, even if it's the most successful Olympics in the history of the Olympics. No one can travel there. You're in a state of emergency. You can't have spectators. I don't even know if Bruce Springsteen's going to be able to go to see his daughter in the equestrian event which i thought was interesting i know she's a she's a very good uh writer but i think that there may have been a little ratings manipulation there wow wouldn't it be great if bruce springsteen shows up at the olympics we get to see him in the audience well i don't even know if he can go now you know he's doing a a one-man show on broadway he sort of brought broadway back when that show was announced about a month or so ago, 
maybe a month and a half ago, there was a break in the schedule, interestingly, right around the Olympics. It was several weeks or a month later when his daughter officially was named to the team, but I have to wonder if that was already a foregone conclusion. How do we make this Olympics interesting? How do we make it viewer interesting? Well, Bruce Springsteen's daughter is, you know, she was an alternate in the last Olympics. So she, I'm, I'm not, I mean, she's, she's certainly a well-respected and she has won events and she's obviously a good writer. I'm not taking anything away from her. But it certainly doesn't hurt to have Bruce Springsteen's daughter on the Olympics teams. I guarantee you that the equestrian event, which probably is one of the least viewed it's probably going to get some of its highest ratings. And it could have and I don't know if Bruce can go. I mean, I don't know. They're saying no spectators. Are they going to let Springsteen be the only one there? I don't know. Is he going to be in the entourage? I don't know what's going to happen. But I think it's interesting that in this time when they're trying to find ways to promote this and create excitement about it, uh it just so happens that Bruce, oh by the way, Bruce Springsteen's daughter who didn't make the team last time now has made it. Once again, Jessica, I I know you will I'm sure you deserve this, but we also can't be naive to think that there wasn't also a little, wouldn't it be nice if, I'm just throwing it out there, folks. But anyway, I, I think that this, this, this just is irresponsible. I think, as I said before, the, the ratings are not going to be good, Um. I just think you are opening up such a can of worms here. There are more, there's more potential for problems than there are for, uh, for, you know, positives. The Olympics are supposed to be this, this great coming together in this, um, you know, this celebration of, of countries and unity. And meanwhile, there are no spectators. There's all these protocols, and there's a chance of a, of a health epidemic striking this. Is that the mood you want? I just think you're, you know, I just think, I know it's a tough decision to, to, to you know, cancel it again with all this money at stake. I get it. I get it. I know the the trials and tribulations that these business owners have been going through. I understand that. But I think you are delegitimizing the event and you are harming its brand by having this event this year for all those reasons that I explained. So, I don't know. Are you going to watch the Olympics? There's no question. When they play that... Hey, I get goosebumps too. But I don't know if those goosebumps are worth the risk that we are putting athletes in, other people associated with the event in, and the history of the Olympics themselves. As I said, as I, as I was going to say, 
I think instead of what what what's driving this is money, and Tokyo wants you know to have this. I've always thought in this day and age, so because it's such a major uh, monetary investment, and some countries have gone you know bankrupt over this because they haven't received the payback in tourism or whatever they were hoping, and they laid out all this money. Why not have? Why, why take take that risk out of there? Why not have one official Olympic site? So this way, you build the stadiums to the correct dimensions. You have the Olympic Village created already, and everybody every year descends on one accepted site for the olympics you build a new tradition you take the the monetary expense away from these countries where so much is potentially lost half the time they're knocking down these structures that they build because they can't use them anymore or or if you go to some of these foreign countries and i've seen them you'll see the remnants of the olympic village of and they're just these big buildings that are sitting empty they're just memories of 50 years ago that, oh, they had the Olympics here. So what? So why not take the monetary risk out of this, have all the countries donate money, pick one site, maybe it's Greece since that's where the Olympics started, or, or some other country, and have the Olympics in one spot. And that's your new tradition. And yes, with time, people accept it, and it will be a tradition, and people will be talking about going to wherever. The road to blank. And there will be prestige, and there will be excitement about going to the official Olympic site. Because if you do that, you take away all... Yes, there'll be an um, an immediate expenditure, but they do that every four years. Do it once... And now you have it. And so now these countries aren't going bankrupt or aren't pushing to have these events when they either can't afford it or, in this case, when prudence and logic is overcome by greed or financial considerations. You wouldn't have that. I guarantee you, if there, was a, if there was a singular site already in place for this Olympics, they wouldn't have it. Because the pressure to have it, from a monetary standpoint, wouldn't be as great as it is. Tokyo is sitting there with you know 10 years of debt wanting to get this back. That wouldn't exist if it was in Greece or wherever you had it. So that's just my little tip. My little suggestion: You want to you want to make this uh, an event that that is not such a, a a major monetary risk for countries that that force you to make irresponsible decisions like the one you're making this year to have the Tokyo Olympics amid COVID around the world. Have a single site, build a new tradition, have it in Greece where the where the Olympics were made, where where you know were first held. Or some other European country. I don't know. That's for them to decide. 
This is a bad decision. It's a gold medal bad decision to have these Olympics in 2021. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or we're found wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget, send a link, send a message to your friends, your family. Tell them that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 269. <laughs> I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! <laughs>